Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast, featuring Aaron Castro in Arizona, Liam Poach in Boston, and Craig Gradelli in New York City. For those of you new to the podcast, each week the guys share news, views, and abuse from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union, along with information on the USA national team. With all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Uh, sorry for being late. Uh, I was taking stuff out to the trash and did not notice the time. And then I got back and uh, Craig's texting me, hey, dude, let's let's split this wig. Let's let's get some work <laughs> in. And I'm going, all right. All right. You know, just uh, I was diligently waiting to bring rugby news to our loyal fans. Yeah, just do it a bit, guys. Um, so, Long time to talk, everyone. It's been a month since yeah. we uh, did a pod. I guess our semi-regular, irregular stuff, we, we hit you up all with the a, a very long conversation with retiring uh, Toronto Arrows captain and Dan Moore. I told him, like, very much so. I was like, why are you retired? I, was, I probably had tears in my eyes during the interview. But uh, Dan traveling. Dan's a good chat. Um, good. He's like, you know, some people retire abruptly and you're wondering, you know, how is this, you know, going to go on? Like, what are they, you know, doing and stuff? And well, you know, his, his ducks were, uh, they were in a row, um, which is, you know, pretty awesome uh, in general that he's like, uh, he's just really ready to go. And, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's awesome. Like he's like, I already, I'm already moving forward. Like it's like, it's just interesting. I mean, you know, Dan's a guy who went to Oxford, so obviously everything's going to be straight for him. Like you, you're going to, that's your expectation. It's like this guy be straight for the arrows without him is the question. Ah, yeah. Like who's going to bring in a wing? I guess now that DTH Vandermerve is wanting to come to MLR, he says he's pretty close to having a deal done that I wonder if he's going to the arrows, but I, I've heard it's not, um, which actually works out because, you know, the arrows can only support so many Canadian players. That's just the reality. Um, you you can only put twenty three guys on the pitch at a time, so it's maple yeah. syrup budget was very maxed out. <laughs> I mean, DCH is a premium player, even at I think he's thirty four. Um, you know, there was some talk about like, well, maybe he wants to like suit up for the next World Cup because he's in pretty good nick, as they say, but he's in pretty good shape, and you know, he's just. Just doing the work, and it, it makes a lot of sense for him to possibly make that decision. And if he could just get put himself in the position where he can, you know, go to, uh, you know, just be healthy enough to where he can continuously get better, uh, sort of over time, like some fine wine, uh, then then, you know, you could have him. And I understand there was, I, I think our friend over at La Rouge Rugby podcast said, you know, we should probably be focusing on, uh, 
the future at that point. Like in four years from now, you probably want yeah. to be focusing towards the future. And I understand that. But, you know, if you have him in a coaching role for that World Cup as a consultant or whatever, and he's currently playing in the MLR and someone gets injured, he's a pretty easy person to parachute into the squad if there's an injury. And I wouldn't necessarily want him to be like, unless he's just tearing it up that season um, in if he's still playing in major league rugby, then, you know, uh, you don't select him because you do have to, and you, you do have to make the hard choices as a high performance director and coach to select the next uh, sort of generation of player. But I think that, yeah, but, but there's also, I mean, there's something to be said of uh, a couple of veteran heads mixing in with the young people and not, not many Canadian internationals have the overseas experience that he has to, to you know, impart that knowledge to a, you know, a 90%, let's say young team. I mean, there's, I think there's still space for some veterans, even when you're focusing on the future and he seems like the right type. I think if you perform like if as one of the, somebody used to say is like an equal opportunity to prove yourself unequal. So if he goes, if he's in that form and he's just tearing it up, then you can't then you can't leave him off. You need to take that kind of weapon with you to because this World Cup is really a do or die situation. Whereas, uh, you know, this ARC, if it had happened, would have been your development ground. You would have rested all of your veterans that uh, you know are are older that would also but be projected to make your next cycle and you would select some younger guys that had proven themselves and, and just cap guys so that they can get into the system and, and see what this level is like so that they can perform again. But we'll get into the ARC being canceled. Obviously I think we all know, you know, with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic that, you know, things are going to shift a lot. Um, and it's kind of a weird time in U S rugby because, uh, the next sort of topic before we get deep into the Hawaii uh, bid launch and uh, all of the MLR news, we'll get into a bunch of USA rugby stuff as well. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a good time. Um, I guess in a, in a lot of sense, uh, cause we're seeing a lot of changes going on domestically that will make us more sustainable uh, when it comes to the grassroots. I think, with major league rugby, the fact that, you know, they were able, they said, you know, the, the board voted to pay players. And when we look at where the economy is, I think making that decision as much as it may have been financially tough. Um, well, I mean, that says how, you know, financially stable this organization is. Yeah. I don't want to talk any, you know, any smack about a, any previous iterations of professional leagues around here, but uh, a certain previous league that shall not be named couldn't wouldn't pay their players, and there wasn't a pandemic. So uh, I mean, it, you know, these are little things, but I think it, it does it is a sign of strength, and I think it's also a sign of good stewardship. I mean, it, it also just feels like the right thing to do. So. Um, you know, I certainly appreciated it, just even purely from a fan standpoint. Yeah, I, I mean, you look at a lot of this stuff and you're like, as much as, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, in the back of my mind, 
you know, we're shutting this thing down. But then someone said the math is like it was pretty, um, pretty simple in saying that, uh, you know, just uh, <laughs> well, um, at, at this point, it's all about, I guess, cost sharing and not profit sharing. So you actually lose they 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 lost less money by just shutting the se- because the season was shut down than if they would have had it so and in a sense the the money that is paid for players is paid up front before the season and because they're centrally contracted to the league and not um like specifically or so just like the MLS single entity ownership and players are like coaches negotiate contracts with players, but that that contract that they're no negotiating for their what they're negotiating is assignment rights. So they'll negotiate that contract with the player, and then the player will be centrally contracted to the league. And then once that process, he will be assigned to the team that he negotiated with. So because that money is paid into an escrow account before the beginning of every season it was basically a sunk cost. It was already gone. Um, so like just press the button, pay the players at, at the regular interval and, uh, you know, prepare for 2020. And and we got to do that with the MLR draft, which if you check our last episode, we sort of did an analysis and some interesting other stuff, but we'll get into with MLR uh, free agent signings and undrafted free agent signings and extensions towards i guess the back third but um you know craig you're this is where you know you're going to be involved some because you you're on the empire rugby union board so you get to see at least part of this because i think ken pape is the vice president of the club chair yeah so what i mean what are you we'll get deep into there's a lot of mechanics going on with the reorganization of USA rugby. The four constituent bodies were separated. Uh, IAs sort of really only were by themselves already uh, as like a council sort of thing. And youth senior club and college weren't in that sort of existence. Like a lot of the committees that set the policies, yes, were populated by senior club people, but there wasn't like a club council, like there was the overarching Congress and there were senior club reps, but it was like a single body. And well, in a sense, it's basically the same thing, but it's not because the senior club council by itself now controls the senior club game completely. Um, in, in part, and same with the youth council and same with uh, collegiate rugby, uh, but we'll get into that. That's a mess right now um we'll get into that later but um so like what are you seeing you know sort of on the ground at uh, a constituent union level yeah i think you know the writing has been on the wall i think in broad strokes for a while now probably even before the bankruptcy um but certainly if anything accelerated by the bankruptcy that there's going to be a more decentralized uh, administration of every element of USA rugby, including the club game. Um, you know, we, we talk here mostly about MLR, but you know, personally, as non-professional players, you know, most of my individual rugby playing experience is in the senior club, you know, USA rugby world, and um, I'm also on the board of, of uh, New York Rugby Club. Um, so I think we're seeing it 
it play out the way it was always sort of contemplated where USA Rugby is downsizing their oversight impact on the decisions made by club entities and the clubs are essentially forming their own uh, their own governing body to make decisions on, on their own, you know, less less interaction, lower dues, just more autonomy from USA Rugby, which is, is really acting more like a clearing house or a you know a, t- a central touch point, but without really the the management oversight that it's attempted to exercise in the past. And and this is different. Um, like this model, I think people have touted this maybe as the soccer model in a. I don't necessarily disagree with it. I, I sort of think the model already existed. It's just been reshaped and we've put new labels on things. But instead of having like a Congress being one body, we've now made a bunch of smaller bodies that don't interact as much. And in an effect, it is siloing the game even more because they siloed the game, I want to say, back in 2006, 2007. And this back then, it, and that was probably good. Um, to an effect that it separated youth rugby away from senior club rugby and it separated college rugby away from both of those. So like to sort of fit in a sense in the American construct and not um, how things work overseas. Um, But at the end of the day, I'm like the policies that were deployed, I guess, executed by the national office were still made at committee level by senior club people. Like so, it's not yeah. like it's. It was all. It's always funny. Blame USAR. USAR is the problem. I'm like that. There's, well, like, yeah. there's well, like three it, dudes that work in. The, well, yeah, but there's like three dudes that work in the club section. Do you really think that they're <laughs> sitting in the room? You know, coming up with all these eligibility rules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I don't. I, I think people. There's a. There's a temptation to get overly. Uh, can you know overly concerned about the the lines on the org chart? You know, like it, the problem with USA Rugby is not the org chart. So we have a new org chart now, and there's a, there's going to be a new governance structure. I, I think it's probably better, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't think it is the difference maker whether we're a decentralized committee or a part of a larger committee. I think what matters is the actual people that are put into the leadership positions, and obviously the the issue with that though is you as a USA rugby constituent 95% of the people that are in these positions you don't know you don't know if they're qualified you don't know what their backgrounds are and you never will know so you, there has to be a I think what's better about this is we've seen that regardless of who we seem to put in charge we're spending too much money and this is clearly a less expensive way to run yeah. things um, so that is I think good in the absence of Clearly good leadership. I, I tend to prefer decentralized decision-making. So it's a little more decentralized. I like that. But at the end of the day, I think we still need to pick the right leaders to be in charge and, and yeah. lead things. And that's really what's going to make the difference. I mean, if, if anyone uh, listens to Jocko Willink in the Jocko podcast, he talks about decentralized command all the time. Like – in a sense, like there's no reason for the CEO of the organization to like literally worry about club rugby. I, I mean, yes, he needs to be in. Yes, Ross Young needs to be involved, and he needs to be read into a bunch of stuff. But the admit the day to day administration of club rugby doesn't really need to happen at the national office. 
I mean, that's yeah. that's the reality. Like strategy and how we grow the game um, at senior level, at youth level, at college level. Yeah, you know, the guy needs to be involved, and then also making clear business decisions, whether it's Ross uh, for the long term future or somebody else, right? And we're gonna we'll we'll get into. Um, sort of the restructure sort of later on, because I don't know uh, where the legal stuff specifically is at this juncture, but we do know um, some changes have been made that will go into this. But, um, you know, the IA council, like I said, sort of already existed, uh, but they have, I guess they've reseeded their 10 person council. Uh, you can go onto us and rugby's website and look at that, but they have seeded, uh, Andrew Suniula and Irene Gardner in two of the independent athlete or international athlete positions on the USA rugby board. Uh, I know that Phaedra Knight, she is going to be on the uh, international athlete council, but I, uh, from what I understand, she and Kevin Swearin are both withdrawing from the USA rugby board and there will be new appointments of two new uh, two more board members uh, from the International Athlete Council, and then uh, the on the U side, uh, we have a board member. What was it? Let me. I think it's from. Is it from Rugby Ohio or from Rugby Illinois? Uh, Ohio sounds the, right. Yeah, the Youth Council has uh, sat itself, and it split itself into eight regions. So basically kind of sort of no change, I guess. Um, David Poole has been elected interim vice president. Uh, he is the uh, SCYRFU uh, president, so SoCal Youth Rugby. Um, Bill Stevens, who uh, has been, was appointed interim, uh, watch me daily. <laughs> Midwest Region U.S. Rugby Youth and High School Director. He was a, a previously appointed the interim um, a youth member to the board, and he will. He is now the permanent youth member, or youth council member of the board. So, uh, you know, he's been around rugby for a while. Congratulations to him! Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, so they're they're reseating the board and and these council, you know, like the councils and. Um, the lowering dues is yeah. also my understanding. Well, I, I, it's that gets complicated, which I'll kind of get into. Um, then the senior uh, side of the house has elected its leadership as well, uh, with um, Kirk Tate as president, Ken Pape as vice chair, or Kirk Tate as chair, Ken Pape as vice chair, Jill Williamson as treasurer, Rick Hum secretary, and then the uh, currently named transitional director may become permanent is Al Lucas from the Midwest rugby union. Um, you know, we're, they, they currently plan to gather nominations to reseat uh, that seat from the, from the senior club, but he is currently sitting on the board to represent senior club rugby. And then you get into the non-formed college council. Um, which is basically a big fight between uh, CRAA, which is the Collegiate Rugby Association of America, which 
was mostly D1A, but now has a lot of D1AA, has a lot of women's rugby. Um, I want to say they have about 40% of the college membership. And then I want to say NCR, which had the most, uh, or and when it was NSCRO, had the most colleges under its banner anyways, because most schools did not play in Division Two and Division One um, at all. Um, they have expanded and rebranded as NCR, uh, but they're kind of in a fight with USA Rugby right now for I mean, they've basically been told by the USOPC and World Rugby that they have to be members of USAR. And they're throwing yeah, – wouldn't call it a fit, but maybe they are. It's it's an argument that they are having with, with USA Rugby over, over whether they can be members or do it independently or not. And I'm like, guys, you're going to administer your game. Just – negotiate whatever thing you need to negotiate and be a member of the union because NCR, like all, this is all club sports. Like, so the, the, the the sort of the cutout into like what is governed by the national governing body versus not is like high school athletic associations are not governed by the national governing body and the NCAA uh, is, or NA and NAIA are not governed by the national governing bodies, but club sports are. And like world rugby, like they sent like a letter to world rugby and world rugby was like, guy, just everyone's reorganizing over there. We understand your pain, but in order to tour or host international teams to do anything, you need to be in the ecosystem. Like this is an ecosystem. So if you don't like, I it's like, I get it. You're fighting move on. <laughs> and I, I I'm sort of of that, like with the way this keeps going, I'm, I'm sort of of that same opinion. We need to move the ball forward and this fight. Well, luckily there's no, there's probably going to be a lot less college rugby going on in the fall uh, so that they can have this fight. I guess I, I would rather there be a lot of college rugby going on this fall in the places that it can happen. than this yeah, fight, there going to be any fall this, sports at all, but this fight is going to happen apparently in the absence of fall rugby. So that's cool. I, I guess. Um, and then there's like some, some disagreement over the current dues structure. And the last one, you know, I, I guess a lot of the senior people and a lot of the college people and a lot of the coaches and a lot of the refs got annoyed. So the last one, it's saying since everyone's the, – the current one – so, like, the difference is going to be um, I think youth has to pay more because they're now running their own – they're now running the game. So they have to pay more. So it's not um, to, to USA Rugby. And it's not a lot. It's, I think it's projected at $27, but it was like tiered out um, previously. Rookie Rugby paid $5. And if you looked at the policy that USA Rugby had for insurance, a rookie rugby membership had to be subsidized by, basically was subsidized by either a coaching membership or a senior club membership, or you get the idea is all these members that supposedly may have had money had to pay more to subsidize rookie rugby because they lost money on the policy 
uh, effectively. Like insurance policies, this, and then the rookie rugby membership was this. So the tiered system was meant to encourage more youth players to start at a younger age, which I understood. Um, it's not going to work like that anymore because that's, but there is a, there is going to be a tiered system as far as like total membership costs, because the policy that youth will get for insurance is actually less because usually kids like under 12 don't get catastrophic injuries. Usually, 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 usually now. So the policy for youth in high school is going to is less than is less than the, the college policy. And then that is less than the senior club policy. Now for college players, for senior club players, for coaches, for referees, and for administrators, well, everyone so everyone else's membership fees go down by like at least a third. So I mean, okay. Like I, I, I don't understand why we're complaining. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're complaining. I, I'm still curious to see, you know, hopefully uh, if it's out there and someone wants to send it along. But I, I haven't yet seen a exit budget for uh, for USA Rugby to come out of bankruptcy. I'm curious how how close they're cutting it because, well, this well, is, as a player, we're, I'm we're happy gonna, that we're going to get I also want USA Rugby to not be bankrupt. So then we're going to get into that. Um, I haven't seen any workout plan. I don't think anyone else has seen a workout plan. I know that Alex Goff has been doing a lot of sort of, um, not sort of, a lot of good work on covering the, the the reorganization and stuff and reaching out to different, um, to various, I guess, dignitaries. Um, if you read his stuff, um, he's been able to like, at least keep a pretty good record. It's, it's really for if, it's, he's the only person that's been able to do this. So, you know, hats off to him um, when it comes to reporting on this stuff because um, the the bastions of rugby media, basically um, it's, well, um, from what I understand with Flow Rugby, um, they have made their last employee that created contact, content redundant. So they will only be doing events. Um, at least on the rugby side, um, they are no longer generating content. Um, so outside, so it's kind of like, uh, in a sense, it's kind of like how, uh, ESPN here has the rights for super rugby and they don't promote that. The fact that they have super rugby on ESPN two right now, um, at eight 30 on set or eight 30, my time on Saturday nights, like there's no like commercials for it. Nothing. It's just, it's just there. And that's basically what's happening with Flow Rugby and, and USA Rugby events that they have the rights to. Oh, and by the way, um, Flow Rugby—that we're not getting out of the Flow Rugby deal um, because they're like, "Hey, you're an NGB. Yeah, you're going through bankruptcy, but you're not going to go away. So um, you still are going to have the events that we have the rights to, and uh, we want this contract fulfilled where we paid you money." Um, because, yeah. so they're a creditor because they have that license. So they're like, Hey, um, they're not a creditor per se, but I, I see what you mean, but they, typically it's the, one of the powers that a bankrupt debtor has is to reject contracts of that sort. So if they wanted out, 
they, apparently they not. Think apparently they could have rejected. It. Yeah. Apparently they're they're not getting out. I mean, but if they had rejected it, it would have made that would have made Flow Rugby a creditor. So then they would they would get an unsecured damage claim for yeah. whatever the well, damage. I, I, I guess from. for for whatever's going on, because um, flows flow as part of the contract. I think that they have to pay for production. So, I mean, it costs like. Fifty thousand dollars a game to produce a game, and do you? Th- does anyone think USA Rugby has that kind of cash? <laughs> we haven't seen that. Yeah, we still haven't seen a um, plan of reorganization. So I, I don't. Do, I don't think anyone knows for a fact what their contracts they're assuming and what contracts. Yeah. So, so part of um, the reorganization, and now that we're on to sort of that point, um, USA Rugby is moving from Lafayette. Uh, to Glendale, Colorado. Uh, Glendale has, I guess, being the only bidder, <laughs> there wasn't a request for proposal put out. Uh, there wasn't an RFI put out. Glendale came in and said, "Hey, you know, uh, we're we're cutting back on some things like MLR. Uh, the the backers behind the MLR team um, pulled out and they withdrew, and that, and they also like." There's a lot of stuff going on with the women's program. They are uh, limiting their support to, um, I guess, grassroots rugby. They're, like all ma- the majority of their support will be focused on youth rugby and the national teams, basically becoming the training center for USA Rugby 15s, uh, men and women. So uh, you get office space, which will be great for. I guess for free uh, for a year, warehousing for free for a year, uh, discounted services when it comes to marketing. Um, okay. I don't know how much marketing they actually did for the Raptors, but this is, you know, <clears throat> and uh, so discount, like, so discounted services and, uh, Basically, the agreement talks about tests. I think it's at a minimum three tests a year they get to host. So I guess whenever we get a tier one test, uh, if if we get any tier one tests, supposedly we're going to get England, which would be great. That would be great. But I'll I'll uh, I'll believe it when it's finalized. At this point, I mean, who knows when international rugby is coming back? So oh my gosh, um, it's depressing to think about. But I, in terms of Glendale, I mean. Okay, good. Again, like you know, we right now we've proven that we're not good at managing our budgets. Yeah. Um. So um, we're removing a bunch of costs by. It, this is a good move for the organization. Period. Uh, when it comes to removing costs, now the the issue, I guess I have with it is that it's only for a year. And why can't we get this for, in a sense, a little bit longer? Because a longer-term relationship where we don't have to – where our rent for office space may, may not be free, but our rent for office space can be significantly discounted because Glendale would get be the headquarters of USA Rugby and they can market themselves as – continue to market themselves as Rugby Town USA. And you get these events that come in where I go get a hotel room that is – half mile walk from the stadium and you know like we have some economic impact right um 
And, you know, like that'll be cool. Right. Uh, in, in a sense, like you're, you're reducing, you don't have to pay for gyms. You don't have to pay for fields, uh, every place that you go because you you're now sort of centralized. Now, is this going to be USA rugby's Twickenham? Cause USA rugby would have to own infinity park. But from what I understand compared to their previous contracts, uh, events, USA Rugby events at Infinity Park will be heavily discounted at a heavily discounted rate uh, compared to what they previously were, which would actually allow them to net a pretty high value off of a test that is held at uh, at Infinity Park. Um, and we need we need some money. So yeah, I mean, it's really what it comes down to, right? I mean, there's just not we don't like certain things to be the case for USA Rugby, but the truth is. Vendors aren't, you know, jumping through their, uh, jumping through the windows to offering things. You know, I think I hate to use the term beggars can't be choosers. I, I don't think that we're necessarily beggars, but um, definitely not, many, not, definitely not choosers. Not many options. Yeah. So uh, you know, until someone, everyone can complain about this all they want, or be you know not like this outcome, especially with. You know, Glendale's departure from MLR, I think, left a bad taste in some mouths. But um, until you're showing me some alternative that would have been better, uh, you know, I, I'm not really sure what you're supposed to say about it. Right now, it's the best offer I've heard. It's the only offer I've heard that was available. So, uh, I mean, what else is there to say? It, it, this was the option and they took it. Yeah. And then, so the other thing um, that falls into like reorganization of the national office as sort of part of the I guess, distribution of administration and responsibility directly to the constituent councils to administer, which is what I tell people. Be like, just because, like, USA Rugby is not doing something doesn't mean it's going to be cheaper. So, like, direct administration of club rugby, does that mean that your local dues aren't going to go up? I don't know. I would not be surprised if they went up. But um, when it comes to this, I mean, so we haven't seen like you like we haven't seen a budget um, for to exit bankruptcy, but this is part of the plan. So for a while, USA Rugby had about forty-five to fifty employees. Um, even I want to say before bankruptcy, there were thirty-five, and this is after making a bunch of cost cuts. Um, like to try and just deal with this, but then they also added some high paying, high paid executives. So uh, uh, maybe they ended up taking like this, the small staffer salary and just putting it over here. But now we go from like 35 to 14. So there is going to be limited reach back to, um, to the grassroots to provide services. So that's where I go. Does this become more expensive because all of these people that are representing constituent bodies or volunteers right now, does that mean you have to hire a director or multiple people to administer each part of these games? Um, yeah. that, that's the question. Um, but to me, it may become more expensive or may not, but I think the, the benefit is 
whatever it does become, you can now go vote in, in your local AGM and change leadership and directly impact those things, right? If you don't think they're doing enough grassroots, you can go to your local AGM and yeah, that, put in that leadership. Is- that is a benefit. Like even, hey, USA Rugby's not do- well. USA Rugby's not responsible for that anymore. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> and you had no say in who was at USA Rugby really in the first place. Very little say. So I think it may or may not be more expensive, but hopefully it's more responsive to local needs. Yeah. Um, and then uh, recommendations uh, or applications, not recommendations, but applications uh, or. Rather, let's get to that. But yeah, so from 35 to 14 employees, up top, less expenditure for salaries. A lot of focus um, for the national office will be on administering national teams and age grade. After that, it's not much. Like there, there's like other than high performance age grade, their reach into the college or you scene is limited. Into the senior scene non-existent because the Eagles are now being pulled from MLR on the men's side. Uh, the reach into the senior scene for women is a little bit different because of the WPL. Um, and that is where most of these, the Eagles play. Um, so there is going to be some reach back there, but limited. And, you know, so 14 full-time employees, um, that will include some coaches. So it's not like it's we're talking. So if you look at high performance staff at uh, Chola Vista, you're looking at a women's high performance director, men's high performance director needs to be hired. Um, the women's national team head coach is a full-time employee. The men's national team head coach and Gary Gold is actually not. Um, and then you have the, uh, the women's sevens coach, the men's sevens coach. So like already at like seven people. Um, so I don't know. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think there's going to be like six people that work in, in Glendale. That's what I think, (laughs) you know? So that's, so that is discounted office space. That is discounted office space. Yeah. It's going to be heavily discounted because we're only bringing eight employees. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that's, sort of thing really stripped down national office which focus on administering uh age grade high performance programs and national teams that's really the focus and then they can generate cash uh pushing that down to uh the youth council the senior council the college council to alleviate expenses um that's basically sort of what USA soccer does. So, all right. Now, um, what was it? Uh, so the ARC's canceled. Um, like every single Amer- rugby America's administered event. Um, obviously, you know, COVID-19 pandemic is making international travel very difficult. Um, so, Uh, obviously a good decision. And then there's also some political infighting, which we sort of touched on the last episode, but it's like continuing and it's getting annoying. So there is some fear that the ARC and the constituent, I guess not the constituent, but the sub competitions, the Americas were going to be challenged. The U20 Americas are going to be challenged and the U28 Americas were going to be championship could not happen. 
going forward unless, you know, we get the kumbaya, get everyone back at the table. Um, you know, it's... I mean, when are we... Are, are we going to have November internationals in World Rugby? When's I the mean, next possible international window that's realistic? So, everything that I'm seeing is, like, on, on the America side is, like, nah. I mean, there could be, like, a a home-and-away Can-Am series, but I'm, like, I'm not hearing anything about that. Like, zero. Um, but I, I, it's like, you would have players that haven't played a game unless we can get, uh, fall club rugby, uh, you know, going in the Midwest and, uh, in the America's rugby premiership, you would basically have to, you know, there is also going to be development. There are scheduled developmental teams for MLR academies to have fall rugby, uh, we don't we don't know when that's actually going to be. Is it going to be in October or is that going to be in November, leading into training camp? Yeah, because we we don't know because because you can play rugby right now in some states. Like there is rugby being played in this country right now, not senior rugby, yeah. but youth, but youth rugby. Not so, not in New York, that's for sure. So uh, Western, I think Western New York, like you're going to have some rugby stuff going on. Cause there is some rugby stuff going on in Western New York. Not a lot, but Utah, Utah, like U sevens is going on right now there. They just held their state championship um, this weekend and it was streamed online. So if uh, I like Brandon Sparks was there and he was like telling all his college coach, but he's like, there's some studs. Like you need to like, you want to recruit players? Nobody watching this. Like, there are some studs playing. Um, so, I think there's youth rugby going on in Idaho as well. Uh, just, I think in general, trying to get senior rugby going uh, in the middle of summer, it was normally sevens and club sevens national championships were canceled. So, and then in a lot of localities, there's still like, you can't play team sports. No. So, so club sevens is like, so what you would be doing right now is sevens. So, and no one's playing. So, yeah, the EGU just put out a, a sternly worded email to remind clubs not, they should not be practicing, they should not be doing any rugby activities, and you know there are sanctions in in the works if they're discovered to be violating that prohibition. So, um, it's a bummer. Look, the whole thing's a bummer. I miss rugby. At least there's some Super Rugby on uh, ESPN, but uh, I think we've been I think about we've been crushing crushing USA rugby stuff for a while and we should probably go into the more entertaining bit because I I sent this show run to Craig (laughs) and he goes, where's Hawaii? Where is Hawaii? Why is this not on this? So yes, the next made it through the first 43 minutes of governance. (laughs) Really not interesting, but you know, you just got to get that through. Uh, I want to see uh, what. I want to see what's going on, man. In with like, if someone out there wants to send us an email uh, with the file documents for USA Rugby's uh, bankruptcy, uh, it's in Delaware Federal Bankruptcy Court. I know, I, I know it's there because we ha- we've also seen the original filings from that, but we haven't seen much else. But if anyone has a federal pacer for um, bankruptcy court. 
and wants to go into the Delaware system, the Delaware federal bankruptcy court system and pull all the documents, you can send us an email at uh, earfulofdirt at gmail.com um, because we would love to provide some a financial analysis and some legal analysis on that. Um, but uh, yeah, so the next thing is uh, Hawaii. I mean, we've been hearing about it first. I, I myself, Brian Ray, a bunch of us like asked everyone we knew in the league, and they're like, "This isn't real. Like this, this is non-existent. Like what? No." And then keep going, keep going. They keep talking to the press, and then just. Two week, uh, a week and a half ago. Um, good to see Rucky. Good to see you, my man. Hey, Rucky. Um, and a week and a half ago, MLR uh, issues a press release saying that uh, we are in the period of exclusivity for the next 90 days for the Kanaloa Hawaii group. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on with this. First of all, as a as the parent of a one year old who watches Moana every single day, uh, I have to say I'm pretty excited about this. I haven't seen any Moana tie-ins yet, but uh, oh, I've seen that movie. But there's some hockeying in that movie. It's really, uh, it's really a, a very as rugby connected as a Disney movie as I've ever seen. So, um, I, I find this whole news to be very exciting. I think. Beyond the Moana connection, it's a gateway to the to the Pacific rugby nations. You know, a, a step closer to the you know the domestic New Zealand, uh, Australia Pacific Islander rugby scene. Uh, and the more that we can intermingle with that community, I think it's the, you know the better for us as a as a rugby nation. Um, it's also an awesome place, obviously. So it's bound to get some media attention probably across the world if we can have any sort of regular rugby being played there. Um, we have great, you know, we've, we've produced good players from Hawaii historically. Billy Toltau, I believe, is from Hawaii. Um, Salmo Ching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, there's, uh, so a few, we, there's a few others. I think Dominic Aquino for Austin is from Hawaii. Like, There's a bunch in the league actually from Hawaii right now. Or um, touched down on Hawaii, Connor Cook went to high school, uh, but he was in Hawaii, like went there, not when he was in Hawaii, he went to high school in Hawaii. Um, so there, there's a lot of players that have touched down there. Um, so interesting fact, or not fact, but an important fact. And this gets into, uh, you know, rugby economy. There are only four senior rugby clubs in the Hawaiian islands. Just, just to put that out there. There's a lot more youth rugby. In fact, uh, so that's where, I mean, if the focus, like, you're not going to grow senior rugby there. Sorry. Um, there is a lot, like, you have um, a lot of the big schools, like Kahuku, Punao, um, they have rugby, um, like, for high, in, in their high schools. Uh, so, and then there's, like, you have, and then you have Maori, Maui rugby, which is youth only, um, that's where Billy Tolutau came through. Um, so, like, as far as talent is concerned, it's a there's a lot of talented kids that have gone from whether it's from football or any other sport. Like, it is like they're just athletes just walking around, 
um, on Hawaii. A lot of kids that play football play rugby um, in Hawaii. And you're starting to see more and more of these kids because there has been investment in colleges. Like at Central Washington, these guys got scholarships to play rugby. So Vili Tolutau was recruited out of high school as a rugby player. Like, so some of these schools, I, I don't know if it opens the gateway. I think the gateway kind of is there. The problem is the ecosystem. They're like everyone, all of the probably the greatest Hawaiian rugby players are probably are also some of the greatest football players. So the ecosystem supports paying for an education in football. It doesn't for the most part in rugby. So, and you just look at people of Pacific Island descent and how much uh, they've contributed to the American sporting landscape, like look no further. I mean, it's just so many men and women of, Hawaiian descent or just Pacific Island descent in general, um, perm, like are in the NFL right now or in college football right now. So could be. Uh, what are you saying? Are you suggesting there's not enough rugby play, you know, senior level adult rugby players in Hawaii to furnish a team? I mean, oh. four senior ball seems like plenty, and not not every player on the team has to come from Hawaii. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the rugby economy that would support this, like, because everyone, every one of these markets looks at um, population, um, populations like the size of New Zealand. So, um, but there's a lot of economic issues. It seems to be okay. Yeah, they do, but there's like completely different economic stuff going on. Um, but a lot of, if we've looked at where the league is right now, um, do I think that they would sell out every game? I, I don't know. I'm saying that at least at the senior level, um, they are struggling with the ecosystem. If you look at the colleges there, um, they're, they're not playing rugby. Um, so, but in all of, but I'm saying like in general, the ecosystem to provide Hawaiian kids, opportunity or kids in the United States in general to earn their education while playing rugby in hopes of just either, you know, setting themselves up for success later on in life or to become professional. Well, now we have the professional thing going on, but there's still limited amount of scholarships in collegiate rugby because it is a club sport. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. It's true. Everywhere. Not just Hawaii. Oh yeah, but the, I'm just saying it's like the ecosystem is missing pieces. And yes, a professional franchise on Hawaii would would be a missing piece of that ecosystem in general. But I mean, so is MLR by itself. Is was a missing piece from the ecosystem of sport when it comes to rugby. Um, they say they're going to pay for the travel of teams. Yeah, to come there. I mean, if if that. I mean, that's the question for me. It's obviously very expensive to get to and from Hawaii, and a league that I yeah I don't think is generating a lot of positive free cash flow already. Uh, I don't know how they're going to finance a team in Hawaii, um, but they're saying they can. They're you know that's what this process I guess exists for is for them to now prove that they have the financial wherewithal to make good on these claims. Um, you know, I, I and I trust Major League Rugby to do a good job of vetting that. I assume if at the end of this exclusivity period Hawaii has a team, it's because 
MLR has been convinced that they do have the financing to to pull this off. And if that's the case, then I, I trust it. Yeah, I, so there's a lot of stuff going that's under evaluation right now. I think like one of those things is like, you know, what does the management team look like? Uh, there, I've read a lot of their press blitz, and my biggest concern is um, at least the the minority owners, which are all these all black guys, because there's uh, just do the math. Like seven all blacks probably don't make the kind of cash. Um, because of where rugby is as a sport to fund an MLR team um, for a significant period of time. So they're like the celebrity owners. And there are, there are a few of those in the league all over the place, like Nate Ebner and Patrick Chung, celebrity owners of New England. And and these guys are ambassadors and they'll be great for the sport in general. Not like that's cool, but it's interesting to listen to some of the things that they keep saying. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work because guys who miss out on Super Rugby Academies um, with the way visas are right now are not going to be able to go play for a team in the MLR because visas, for the most part, uh, per one general manager is like, it's a 50-50 shot. It doesn't matter the resume because we've like we've had amazing resumes. Um, Digby Yawani. Juan Manuel Leguizamon, like amazing rugby resumes of players, and the visas got denied. Of course, there might be a new administration come uh, the return to MLR, and the visa situation might be different. So, um, I, I I don't know about that one. Um, it, it could like these things. I, I don't think it would. Ma- it would. Honestly, I don't would- even want. I don't want Super Rugby castoffs anyway. Though I'd rather domestic Hawaii players and people from American collegiate systems make well, up in general. But then it's like in general, it's like guys, you have ten import cards, so you can have more. You can have more than ten foreign players on your roster, but you can't have more than ten on match day. So. The, the amount of the, the, the amount of opportunities that you can provide some of these guys is limited. Like it, it just is limited. So the focus would have to be on you. They've also said that they want to have 25% of the roster be Hawaiian. Um, I think that's doable without even, without even, I would say poaching, but using the expansion draft to get players of Hawaiian descent. Um, to whenever they be, if they become members, I think, I think it's doable to have like eight players that are from Hawaii that are decent athletes that can be coached up or guys that are just walking around the amount of, the amount of good athletes walking around in Hawaii is ridiculous. Like Lance Williams, he'd never played rugby union before he was playing rugby league in Hawaii. In fact, uh, rugby league at the senior level, not existing at the junior level, not existing at the junior level. Rugby league at the senior level in Hawaii is double the size of senior rugby. And they play a huge, pardon, they play a huge rugby league tournament in Aloha Stadium every year. So, I mean, so like there are guys like Lance Williams just, Walking around, 
playing rugby union or playing rugby league that can be recruited. And you could get eight to 10 guys that are decently talented athletes that can be coached up and they can play and you will be okay overall because it's a like athletic pedigree does matter in this sport in general. And let's also not, let's not overlook the, the minor benefit that it re- resumes or a, uh, it returns at a large to an even number of teams uh, if they join. So that, that's a nice little, uh, a nice little addition. Yeah, it, it would, it would help there. I don't think that if they get accepted and granted membership, I don't think it's going to be for, for 2021 because there's just no. so much. There's, and it doesn't make sense either because they aren't on the ground in Hawaii right now because of the pandemic. Like all of this, all the work that they've done hasn't been on the ground. Like they've done, obviously working with the government of Honolulu, um, supposedly the government of Honolulu is going to at some point build them a 10,000 seat pop-up stadium with the eventual goal of them going to Aloha stadium when it gets redeveloped uh, to, if it's, I think it's like a 50,000 seat stadium right now. It's going to be redeveloped into a 35,000 seat stadium. Um, but there is also an adequate sta- um, training venue at the university of Hawaii. Their soccer stadium uh, holds 45, 4,500. I was going to say 45,000, which was going to be insane but 4,500 people, and it has a field complex of over 30 fields. So just train at University of Hawaii, done. Like training center, boom. Um, and, you know, like I think that they're, they would run into visa issues if they're targeting, um, I guess, Super Rugby Academy rejects. That, yeah. that's so I, I am told they don't anyway. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm I'm excited. I, I, we'll see how the news plays out on Hawaii. Uh, but yeah, that is, that's probably my favorite team location of the park that I've heard yet. Uh, so I, I hope they can make it work. And just I mean, just for everyone to remember is like so. In general, I think everyone in the league wants this thing to be like really real. Um, they want the funding to work out because it would be a unique piece for the league. And, uh, you know, but compared to it would be a, a mark of differentiation. But we've had at least one bid publicly fail um, once it has achieved the exclusive negotiating window. Um, there's a lot, of th- a lot of things are under evaluation. The biggest one is definitely going to be finances. Like, do you have um, – you know, the money for this because it's not season one where the buy-in was a quarter million dollars. Like the buy-in is more, more money than I got. It is pretty significant because, and you know, it's not a, it's not simple and uh, it would be cool though. Um, That means that, uh, you know, you get to take the Gridelli family to uh, Mauna Loa beach and, Hang out. We went there on our baby moon for uh, before my son was born to Hawaii. Great trip. Great trip. I'm, I'm sure. I've never been to Hawaii. My, my parents went to Hawaii last summer. First, like, I, I was like, so I've now never been to Hawaii. Like, thank you, parents. The first time my parents go, yeah, didn't go. Thanks. Awesome. But, um, yeah, I, I think that it, it would be different. I just, there, in general, there's a lot of economic concerns. Because 
you're on an island in one of the most expensive places to live in the United States. Um, in a sense that you would have a lot of the same difficulties as New York, but there is a difference, you know? Um, you know? Uh, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. But moving on um, to Dallas and, uh, you know, or maybe not Dallas because Austin signed somebody too. Um, and we're, we'll do this in alphabetical order. Uh, undrafted free agent signings. Uh, Cam Dodson uh, out of Grand Canyon University is signed by Austin Gilgronis. Um, they're, getting, they're getting a strong kid. That dude is like putting up some weight. And then Dallas – and then Dallas has signed Kareem Ode, who was is a a prop out of Life University, a collegiate All American, uh, and like, honestly, he was on the board of players that yeah. I thought would get drafted, and then he wasn't. And I was like, well, you know, so I mean, there weren't a lot of front rowers picked. I think there were like three, and one of them I was like, huh, and uh, I was like, who is that? Um. Yeah, because I think throwers, the front rowers were uh, Brian Nolt, Mason Coke, uh, the kid out of Destrehan, Louisiana, from Ohio. Uh, oh yeah, there was also Spencer Cruz. Elijah. So Elijah Hayes, who was playing Elijah yeah. Hayes, who's from Destrehan, Louisiana, was a Division One football player, and was like, I hate this, and then went up to Iowa. Uh, to Iowa Central Community College and has played, um, you know, two years there, gotten really fit um, and, you know, third year of rugby. And, you know, people, I was talking to like a GM that didn't draft him. and was like, dude, I'm really happy for him. He's going to the right place. Um, you know, if things happen. He could probably play right away. Yeah. Like he's like that good of an athlete that where, you know, you get the right coaching and Utah has the right coaching. Like they've got, I mean, they've probably got the second best or second best scrum coach in the United States. Um, Sean Pittman or Marty Veal pick your poison, right? When it comes to scrum coaches in the United States, the guy who was just the last Eagles scrum coach. So like he's going to get coached up. He's probably he's strong. I'm sure he's strong enough to play right now. Um, but what is his, like, what's his technique? All his technical skills. And if that's there, he probably, I mean, they've struggled with the scrum anyways. So like, I know he's a longer term, like all of Utah's stuff was like longer term. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say projects, but development um, to an investing in American talent. So um, I didn't mean to take you off track there, but uh, <laughs> This guy, yeah. So Kareem Ode thought he was going to get drafted. He wasn't, and he gets picked up by Dallas. If you look at Dallas's signings, because we'll also um, go into there were no other undrafted free agents signed this uh, in this sort of yeah, last. For our purposes, Aaron, when you're saying undrafted free agent, those are only people that were eligible for the draft, as yeah, opposed only, to a international um, signing or whatever yeah, a club yeah. signing. So if we look at signings, these guys, I think, all. Oh, not all of them. Chad Guff and Kalepi Pavita, who played for Colorado. Um, I'm pretty sure these were ex- um, dispersal draft picks. And yeah. then um, this is Mungin- to Dallas. For Dallas, yes. And then Munjin Ho, who's a scrum half, grew up in 
uh, Dunedin, New Zealand, but he is south of South Korean descent, but born in American Samoa. And he was current. He was playing for the Dallas Harlequins uh, this year, and he is also a South Korea sevens player. Um, so, well, he's from American Samoa. From American Samoa, ain't gonna need a visa. Good to go. Has a U.S. passport. Let's go. Um, and you got Wyan Conradi uh, from uh, who played in this last World Cup for Namibia. Um, so that's that's a good pickup. I think we just have a ton of these. Um, Nick Hildebrand, who is playing with the Pacific Pride and is a product of Burnaby Lake uh, RFC, uh, you know, played uh, a little bit in, I think, Bucks, uh, did pretty well there uh, in, in the UK uh, for Houston. And then you've got. Uh, Toronto has signed Gaston Cortez. I think he's 35. He's um, hasn't played for the Pumas in a while, but he is an international for Argentina. He came comes in from the Glasgow Warriors. He's played for Leicester. He's played for Bristol. Um, like that's a- how is it that Canada attracts so many South American internationals? Is it a visa thing, or they just don't like? The USA, right? they, they all either go to there Texas are some there are some like signings coming in from from Argentina to other teams, and, and we'll talk about. Did I put did I put Juan Capiel? No, I didn't. But we'll talk about him. Um, I don't know. I think they they got the two guys from from Uruguay, and then that set up the culture. Um, you know, Gaston Mires and Leandro Levos, and then they got. Um, it was the guy that just tore it up this year? I forget his name. I, I'm sorry. Um, not, not I, don't know. I don't know. Back rower was playing a lot of number eight and number seven. But uh, then they then they signed Siaki Vicalani, who was playing for in the Canada Pacific Pride program. He came through the Burnaby Lake age like youth program. So that's a pretty cool pickup. He's 19. Oof. Like he's young coming into the system, um, but uh, I think the he's he's cut up. Like he's he looks more he looks older than nineteen. <laughs> um, so, and then uh, Adrian Wadden, who was a lock and played in uh, with Cardiff Met uh, in the Bucks Super League uh, over in England or not England because Cardiff Met is Manuel Diana. Thank you. Karen for uh, jogging my memory. So that's the back rower from Argentina who's just killing. Um, and then uh, you know played in the Bucks Super League. Really good player, young Canadian. Um, probably gets in if he does pretty well. He'll probably get pulled into at least Canada A if we have a development competition this year, and then then move into uh, getting capped for Le Rouge. Um, and then the other signing that wasn't on here because I'm dumb, sorry, uh, is Juan Capiello, uh, signed for New Orleans. Um, so if you want a bunch of Argentinian backs, he played for uh, Argentina 15 and also Puma 7s. His, his biceps are the size of my leg, there, he's a, he's a massive human being. Uh, that's a a great signing. Uh, And then you go into re-signings. 
pretty kind of simple. You've got Johan meets Gorecki uh, for Atlanta. Uh, Austin um, got Roderick Waters, Lerome White, and this is also on the backs of Dominic Aquina and uh, uh, Dom. Austin's building a nice team out there, and then Dom Davis as well. Yeah, I yeah, just they, like what they're doing. I yeah. like what's I like what I'm seeing in Austin. Um, and then you go to Toronto. They've uh, re-signed Paul Cellini, Cole Keith, and Gaston Mirez. Um, which right. Cole Keith, uh, you know, really, if you look at what he did, and this is this is kind of sad or disappointing, and not his performance is that he performed so well at the World Cup right, that he was performing very well this season for Toronto, that it's disappointing and sad that this guy, who like he's, I think he's 24, developed and played very well against really tough competition in the World Cup, didn't get to have a banner year um, in MLR. Like that's like, he was, he was playing great. Um, then uh, you go to NOLA. You got Nick Feeks and Ignacio Dotti re-signing. And rounding out, you've got like two cornerstones uh, with with the Roosters. Yeah. Oh, but before we get to, the, to New York, I, I, is it just me or does NOLA just announce re-signings of the same like seven people every week. I, I swear to God, Nick Feeks and Ignacio Dotti have signed 10 contracts in New Orleans. <laughs> they, they, it's like they're doing a great job of managing the news. It seems like they've re-signed someone every week. I swear to God, they've signed those people five times each. Uh, no, um, re-signed like eight players um, that they've announced. But they did last year. They had a bunch of um, – two and three year deals as well. So I think they went long term with a lot of their roster last year. Um and sort of um news at the end, coaching appointments, MLR players that will also have Well you skipped New York. I didn't even call no, up I, I, I yeah, I left you there to talk to say the names and you just no. didn't say Dylan, the Dylan Boston and Nate Brakeley, the uh the cornerstones of the successful rooster pack. Uh Nate Brigley was having a tremendous year, especially in kind of the intangibles or not necessarily intangible, just stuff you don't, it doesn't show up on the scoreboard. You don't see it as obviously uh, as you do in maybe it's like shows a shows up on the stat sheet though. Oh. Yeah, it shows up on the stat sheet. You don't even believe it. Um, you know, Dylan Fawcett, obviously one of the leading scorers in MLR, um, which is saying a lot as a hooker. So, uh, two big signings and re-signings out of New York as well. Um, yeah. And then, so we got two coaching appointments, two MLR players that will also be coaching this year. Um, Tim Maupin has been appointed the head coach uh, for Tulane University. And uh, Ty Leader has coached a few clubs at this point, but now he's going back uh, to uh, – to his roots with club rugby coach, and he will be coaching the South Shore Anchors in uh, the New England Rugby Football League Division Two. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to be a D two team with a MLR coach like Tig Leader. So, let's get a scrimmage with New York Rugby Club. Tig, reach out. <laughs> so, um, 
How long have we been going? Oh, only that it feels like a 90 minutes, but um <laughs> wow. What I said New England rugby football union, Scott. Where you been? Maybe he's yeah. just generally he's just generally promoting rugby union over rugby league. Oh well. We agree, Scott. I would I would hope. Um oh no, yeah, you are correct, Karen. I was thinking about De La Vega. Yes. Tommy De La Vega had a great year, yeah. Yeah, that was not um, – I'm sorry. Although um, – oh, I said New England Rugby Football League. Well – Did you? I don't know. I, I, I only pay attention to half what you say anyway. <laughs> you want to tape. You want to Where's the TMO? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, we'll, we'll try to stay relatively semi-regular. Uh, I know that – Liam um, sends his regrets. He's working like a dog. Uh, Craig's been working like a dog. Um, I have also been working like a dog. Um, and try to get you some more of these things out on Sunday. Um, in a sense, we're in a lull. I think the biggest piece of news was you had two big pieces of news, really. USA Rugby Reorganization stuff just came out rapidly. And then Hawaii, of course, which, like I said, man, if it happens, let's – I mean, let's go get some Mai Tais on the beach and uh, enjoy rugby in Hawaii. Uh, Live pod in Hawaii. I've, I've been to – I've been to Australia – I've been to Perth, Australia, and I haven't been to Hawaii. So may, I'm probably missing something. So, you know, if this team happens, yeah, let's go. Um, make, make it make it real. Um and uh, I will take my um, soon-to-be spouse to another tropical vacation because we enjoy tropical vacations. And, you know, we will enjoy the heck out of, um, you know, at least, you know, a week in Hawaii and catch some rugby while we're at it. Um, but, yeah, so that's us. Um, you're full of dirt. Uh, if there's any more bombs of news, we'll, we'll probably try to be a little bit you know, more prompt with coming back. But, you know, I think I had Craig goes, Hey man, sorry for being dark for like two weeks. My head's been like in my computer getting this deal done. Well, like, you know, Craig's hardcore. He, 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 you know, like if, if anyone watches ballers, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's Spencer Strasmore. Okay. I don't, I don't know who that is, but, uh, what? Yeah, Oh. I don't watch bars. I'll tell you, my rock, I watch uh, Moana every day and uh, Titan games, and that's about my – that's my rock fill. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's been a busy time, but um, there also hasn't been much rugby. Uh, unfortunately, pandemic times, just, you know, not the rugby going on that you normally have, but hopefully that will pick up as the pandemic starts to wane. I wish, I wish- – ESPN would advertise that they have rugby on because at least on the West Coast on Saturday night, 8.30 is a great kickoff time. Now, on the East Coast, that sucks. The Friday game is on at like a dumb time. Like I think it's on – Yeah, the games are like 6 a.m. and 11 p.m. So it's not – you're not pulling many viewers in the East Coast, regardless. But the on demand is still fun, and there's nothing else to watch anyway. So, oh, uh, the one thing I noticed, um, there was an update to ESPN Plus. So, um, if you go into like on demand, if you click on the game and you finish the game, it just rolls over 
to the next game. So I'll just instead of having to like click, click, click after the game's over, uh, it'll it'll just roll over. So what I was watching, I think I watched it was the Hurricanes and the Blues yesterday, and then it rolled over to the Western Force and uh, the Brumbies game. Mm. So like over to Australia, the, the Hurricanes Blues is great. The Barrett the Barrett Bowl. Um, I haven't so, seen it. Yeah, so the, the news is like, oh, we suck again. <laughs> yeah. So so good. And then two weeks in a row of losses. So sucks to sucks to be them. Um and then the Chiefs can't win a game. Yeah, Jordy and Bowden. Scott was uh Bowden got trucked by La Mape. Anyway, what are we talking about? You guys don't care. We'll be back, uh, we'll be back soon with more American rugby news to talk about. We're out. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby.